Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Anya, what do we watch? Well, Kevin, we watched. Uh, <laughs> on, uh, how do I how do I break this, everybody? We watched uh, Charlie Chan at the Circus, which is the eleventh film in the Charlie Chan series. It came out. How in many films were in that series? Nineteen thirty-six. Uh, <laughs> a lot. This was number eleven. I don't know. I don't know how many more happened after this, but. Eifert numbers like 48. <laughs> Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I think we uh, 
So, so what happened? Yeah, let's talk about this. We need to unpack a few things here. Uh, <laughs> we in our happy off hours, we were at a, a, a sale of some kind, and I happened to see on a shelf a whole bunch of Charlie Chan movies. And I say, "Oh, Anya, maybe we should get one of these to see what it's like." And what 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 did what did what did you say? I said they're a dollar. Might as well get all of them. First of all, they weren't a dollar. Were they uh, two or three dollars each? I don't like to break up a set. So we got like what thirty of these things? We have too many. Also, I think we both and we I say both because yes, maybe I instigated this. But you certainly weren't complaining when we were there at the sale. I think we both have problems and probably need, you know, significant therapeutic intervention to help and, us deal and, with this. And the thing is, neither one of us at this point, you know, maybe if Anya had like grown up the knee of somebody who loved these movies and she had lots of childhood associations with You mean with a them, racist? <laughs> uh, then sure, it makes sense. Get them all. Or Me, don't. You had never seen a single frame of a Charlie Chan film. Nope. I, when I was a little boy, uh, I saw in the theater what I believe was the last theatrically released Charlie Chan film, uh, Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen, which I think we have to watch at some point because we own it oh, now. Oh, goody. As a young Michelle Pfeiffer. Is that supposed to entice me? Well, what enticed me, maybe this will entice you, was it also has a young Richard Hatch. Perhaps best known as Apollo and Battlestar Galactica. And young master Kevin Greenlee felt, I need to support this actor in <laughs> everything he does for his entire career. Because I love Battlestar Galactica, the original Glenn Larson series, so much. And have you kept up that promise to support Richard Hatch in everything he does? Uh, I think he's dead, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> Yeah, but were you there? Were the were you there until the bitter end? Was his last acting roles in the Ron Moore revival reboot, if you will, Battlestar Galactica of the early two thousands? Because I was there, I saw that. <laughs> Speaking of things we regret watching, I'm not even sure. I don't think he. I, I don't think Mr. Hatch really had a super active or yeah, prolific. with the likes of you being his main supporter i can see why uh i, I think his career was very uh limited and okay we're talking about richard hatch the actor not richard hatch the uh <laughs> the who uh the the naked winner of survivor yeah we're not talking about him <laughs> remember in season one of survivor Oh, you remember what a stir that caused back when you were uh, a child of six? I did not. I did not watch Survivor. Uh, the only time I started watching Survivor was in college for some reason. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's talk about this because first, let me read you Richard Hatch's filmography. Maybe right, maybe, maybe you're you're a fan of some of maybe these. Maybe I'll things. tip my hat a few times, or maybe I'll waggle my finger. Maybe you're laughing and then finding yourself wiping away a tear. <laughs> Uh, Best Friends, Dead Man's Curve, okay? And then he did Battlestar Galactica in 1978. That's when you decided to hop this on the hatch what, train, the hatchback, as you as it were. That's right. Next, The Hustler of Muscle Beach. <laughs> I bet you were all over that one. Living Legend, The King of Rock and Roll. 
Charlotte Chan, the Curse of the Dragon Queen. Prisoners of the Lost Universe. Terror on London Bridge. Leathernecks. This really isn't uh, a distinguished filmography. It kind of makes I guess, you sad. I, I, guess, I guess you're like shitting on this random, you know, kind of B-list, B C-list actor. Why did you decide in the first place to take a blood oath to have him be the person that you are going to support in their career? I took this blood oath very casually anytime I liked any project. So I like Battlestar Galactica. Obviously, I got to follow Richard Hatch. I got to follow Dirk Benedict. I was I hopped on the A-team train early. That that crashed at the station, though, didn't it? Uh, that was just the way I was. I I was an odd child in many respects. Did you ever do that with an actor? If you liked a movie or a TV program? No, I was more like the kid who like just didn't think about that kind of thing at all, or you know. So the dumb kid. Or the kid the who the kid who, who was a fucking weirdo. The kid who just enjoyed a piece of media and then could leave it alone and stop obsessing. The child who just saw himself drifting across a, a river of popular media. Just whatever happens to come across her path, that's what she'll consume. Wouldn't make intelligent choices like Mr. Kevin, Curse of the, of the Dragon Queen, Greenlee did. That's what your nickname is now? That's, a, that's quite a choice. Well, your nickname is now going to be uh, two dozen Charlie Chan films. Oh, okay. Let's let's unpack something. Let's just let's just say let's, like these films. You you okay? So, so let me ask you this: yeah. Who played Charlie Chan in this? A white guy. I don't know. Playing an Asian character. Yellow face. Yellow face. Uh, we we in the in our in our watchings of old mystery shows you come across a lot of blackface brown face yellow face casual racism uh systemic racism it's just pervasive in hollywood to this day but it's very much on the surface back in the era that we often watch movies in which is like the 30s to the 50s and here though it's it's uh it, it's been one of those things where there's been a lot of, you know, obvious discussion about the character of Charlie Chan and, uh, you know, kind of over time, you know, Asian voices kind of speaking out and saying, no, this is racist. Uh, and then, you know, th that's finally, I feel like uh, over the decades kind of started to catch on, become more controversial. These things were really successful at the time. Like people were loving this shit, but watching it now that the yellow face makes it you know, up front, a, a hard sell, to be honest. I was curious to see it from like a, like, I, you always hear about these, What what's this going to be like way. And I think I was surprised in some ways, uh, but the, the forefront of this all is that it's a person, a white guy in yellow face um, pretending to be a Chinese detective who is speaking broken English and is portrayed pretty stereotypically and that's kind of you know I, I think that's going to be the end of it for a lot of people who just don't have the tolerance for that or you know who are of Asian descent and kind of find it heinous and you know we're not when we're talking about it we're not saying oh it's good you should watch it I think no we're not saying that at all we're <laughs> we're just curious about these kind of things because we watch a lot of mystery films this was a pretty pretty big uh 
I guess, franchise, I guess, at the time. You don't really think about, you don't really think about franchises as much. Like, nowadays, it's like, you know, everything's a sequel, everything's part of an extended universe. But back then, I mean, this was, this was one of those things. They, they made, like, dozens of these movies. And a lot of them are pretty forgotten now, and you can kind of understand why, given that, you know, just the, the premise is inherently going to be a problem. Others, other scholars, uh, you know, be people, people who are, you know, are, are other scholars. So we're scholars. No, we're not scholars. I'm saying I, I talked about the scholars who were anti Charlie okay. Chan. Other scholars felt that the it was a flawed character, but a well-meaning character in that Charlie Chan, again, uh, detective of Chinese descent. He's portrayed positively in that he, you know, is smart and he solves the crimes and he's a good guy and he, you know, gets his man. Um and that that's you know that's good, and I could I could kind of see that in this, but I think then it kind of the it loops back around of like, well, is that just a model minority thing? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's it's one of those very controversial, naughty topics. I'm just gonna come out and say, you know, it, it's racist. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. But uh, having said that, I think we can maybe talk a bit about it and and sort of what stuck out about it to us is kind of just two idiots who watch a lot of old mystery films and are not scholars in this area. I'd like to think we're scholars in some areas. What area would you call us scholars in? Crime. <laughs> so so we're like the crime scholars? So we're the people, if you want to commit a crime, come to us. We'll tell you how to do the it. Moriarty couple. <laughs> Is that our branding? <laughs> Professor and Mrs. Moriarty. No, that's not our branding. I just mean we know about some shit, but I don't know about like film history or racist film history. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to have some expertise in something I do not. But like I mean, if you want to talk to me about like some shit, I mean I'm I'm not so I'm not so stupid, right? What What do you think is what are you most early Jamestown? That's it. That and crime. You want to talk to me about that? Hit me up. If not, then I'm so sorry. <laughs> Everything else, I'm just grasping at straws. What are your What have you What are your areas where you you feel like you have it on lock? Nothing. Actually, you know what, Jamestown, I, that was in college. I probably don't remember about a lot of that. So I think, and then crime, that's such a big topic. So don't don't talk to me at all. <laughs> I don't know anything. A stunning admission from Miss Anya. <laughs> I can't even pronounce my name right. My own <laughs> husband, folks. Anya. Anya. All right, Keevan. <laughs> So should we should we stop dancing around the the big top of this movie? Yeah, I'm curious as to how we're going to discuss this. Uh, I, I guess we've acknowledged that it's racist and it should not exist. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not nothing nothing we say here is going to be a endorsement of this film because yeah, it's it and at the very least, if they were going to do an adaptation of the Charlie Chan novels, which apparently there are, uh, they could have cast an Asian actor. They you know there were Asian actors. In fact. There are a bunch of Asian actors in the movie playing Charlie Chan's family, so I don't know why they couldn't have gone a step further and just had an Asian actor, a Chinese actor, play the so character. So let me ask you this. If, hypothetically, this film were made with an Asian actor playing Charlie Chan and everything else is the same. If everything else is the same, I still think that there's a lot of stereotyping. I still think having the choice of having him speaking in broken English and having that seem to be something that we, the audience are supposed to find humorous and worthy of kind of mockery. I still think that's all going to be pretty inherently problematic. 
but I think it makes it somewhat better if this is going into the service of furthering an you know an Asian leading man's career in 1930s Hollywood. So I do think that makes it significantly better if you do that. Although it does not erase all the subtext and problems with this. So that's my feeling. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One thing uh, I was curious about is that uh, the movie, in the movie... Charlie Chan, you know, he speaks the broken English. I think we're supposed to find that amusing. Oh, that's true. But Charlie Chan is clearly, by far, the smartest character in the movie. Could you make an argument that Charlie Chan, speaking in the broken English for humorous purposes, is that similar to, like, Columbo playing a bit of a buffoon to disarm people? Yes, I, I think you could you could make that argument, but two things I think it's not that he's speaking with an accent right he's speaking in like fragmented sentences and I I just feel like there's a level of there where it's like the stereotyping is kind of going beyond like oh he's not to he doesn't seem intimidating to like oh this is how you know a lot of Asian people talk I mean like it, it, it the movie seems to be a little bit over like with Columbo he's he's a white guy and he's just he, he kind of seems a bit befuddled and is wearing a rumpled raincoat you know this this seems to be kind of using racial stereotyping and racism to be making us think the guy is a buffoon even though like that that's that's just racist you know <laughs> I think that's where it kind of falls apart is just that it's a it's using these kind of racial stereotypes to, in the service of that, which is, you know, racist. Certainly if we had a uh, white actor in blackface playing an African-American detective and that detective was employing racist 
uh, stereotypes about people of color, that would certainly be offensive beyond the pale. Yeah, and and so is this. You know, I mean, it just it just is. Uh, and yeah, I I will say I I was interested because the character it does in some ways seem to be more positive on the surface, or at least you know from watching it that. You, than you would expect necessarily because he is the smartest guy in the room. He does figure shit out. He's very observant. He's a very good detective. He, he's the one who's like making, driving the plot forward, making shit happen, basically. But I think it's just they couldn't help themselves but employ some of those racist Hollywood things where it's like, no, we can't ha- cast an Asian guy. We have to cast a white guy and uh, and, and have this offensive, uh, you know, yellow face. And uh, no, you know, like he can't just speak with an accent or, you know, like it has to be a whole thing and, and just, and then some of the kind of more subtle things are kind of like, it seems like they kind of almost use uh racial coding and racial stuff as kind of like a, almost like a punchline sometimes. Like there's a lot of stuff about filial piety, you know, and it, and it's, I feel like the movie saying like, Hey, yeah, this is what they do. And it's like, okay, that, that, that all gets in the way. I think of it being, you know, what it could have been, which could have been actually a pretty revolutionarily positive character, in fact, which would have been great. But watching it, it's like it's frustrating because you can kind of see that if they'd done it differently where you're like, wow, this is kind of like this could have been like a very impressive for its time yes. series. And and it just they couldn't do it. They couldn't get there. But it's, it is frustrating because you see that like you're like Casanesian actor clean up some of the bullshit you're good like and that could have been something where people could have been you know rooting for this asian leading man who's kind of carrying a whole major series and i don't know would have been would have been cool would have been something that would have been pretty you know good to see in hollywood especially with all of the anti-asian racism that has gone on at that place over the years I'd like to mention a couple of things I did like about the movie. Mm-hmm. It takes place at a circus and it makes pretty effective use of that setting. I'm a bit of a sucker for mysteries uh, and noir type stories that take place at circus or carnivals in mid-century America. I'm thinking like novels like the Frederick Brown classic, The Fabulous Clip Joint. I think that those are that's a great setting, a great environment. I think it made pretty effective use of that. I concur. I thought, you know, it it doesn't just skim over it. You kind of see all the acts. You see all these things going on. The contortionists. uh, Let's let's stop for a second there. Let's talk about Charlie Chan's son, Lee Chan, played by the great Key Luke. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, Key Luke, uh, who who is uh, is a a Chinese-born American actor. So, you know, if it, like, you know, if they if they'd kind of kept up casting Asian people in these roles, they could have, you know, but they had to have Wa- Warner Oland. This this character of Lee Chan really, really wants to have sex with the contortionist. Yeah, he really wants to have sex with the contortionist, uh, Su Toy, who's played by Xia Jung. And that's kind of an odd subplot to have in a movie from the 1930s. Is it? I feel like a lot of those were kind of surprisingly horny. I mean, this, he really, really wanted to have his way with this contortionist. Had a naked, raw desire to have his way with this contortionist. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's very fair to say. 
we keep on going back to this plot point uh, in many different fashions. Like a great symphony playing themes, variations on a theme. We see variations on Lee Chan wanting to bed the contortionist. It's it's definitely a choice. I will say I think a lot of 1930s movies are more horny than we would necessarily expect. Give me an example. I don't know, but you have a lot of things where it's like, oh, we're going to get divorced and then we're going to come back together. And like, this, this is more open. One thing that's weird is that the Chan family have like 11 children, like a lot of children, like 12 kids. And so he's there at the circus with all his younger siblings. And like, that's like, like that's kind of dampen your sex drive here to take care of all these little kids when you're running around. But not for him, not for Lee. You come from a big family. Not that big. Okay. So when you were like with your family and you'd go to the circus, you wouldn't have any sexual fantasies about the performers? <laughs> Strokes chin and like looks back wistfully. Of course not, dear. <laughs> um, have you been to a circus? Uh, yeah, I've been to a circus. Tell me about it. I remember seeing a, oh God, I've been to, yeah, I remember seeing like a, like a motorcycle go on a tight ride wire thing, I think. And then I got this like little toy that had like an, like it was like a glowing staff with an elephant on top of it. And that's pretty much all I remember. And then I've been to some, I've been to some winter festivals, winter fairs, uh, Christmas fairs. And no, no, let me let me tell you, and they had some very awkward circus acts. And then let us let us remember our disastrous pandemic circus blunder that we both chose to do, which was for some reason in Indianapolis in the parking lots of dead malls, occasionally a few times a year it feels like, Suddenly you'll start seeing Italian flags all over the place and it'll be like, oh, it's the Italian water circus is in town. And we're uh, so one time we actually went to that, but then we kind of got panicked because even though everyone was masked up, it just seemed like a bad idea. We're very impulsive people. It was it was a so then we got the fuck out of there without even watching any water antics. What about the Danville Circus? We also went to a different circus and it was just awkward because, like, we were the only people there without kids. I felt like we looked, like, you know, creepy and, and just, and it was just, they were just trying to pressure parents into buying kids crap. And it was, just, I, I just, I got really bad secondhand embarrassment for the performers and I had to leave. So it's like your parents took you to, like, the parking lot of some bar and you see a motorcycle go through fire and they call that a circus. And then you went to a couple of these crappy little circuses with me. I went to a real circus. I went to the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. I'm pretty sure I went to that one with my parents. I went to this, saw Gunther Gable Williams, the famed animal trainer. I went to this in 1978 at Market Square Arena, mere months after Elvis Aaron Presley played his last ever concert there. So it made a positive impression on you? No, it was pretty shitty. When you read about, like, all the bad things they do to the animals, it's kind of like... You can't have fun. No. Uh, but, you know, this one... This one was kind of interesting. I saw some familiar faces. Uh, 
there is a, a couple of little people actually who are played uh, by uh, George and Olive Brosno, and they uh, these are you know dancers and actors. Uh, they also they kind of appear in a few films in the 30s and 40s, but the thing I knew them from was actually the Little Rascals. They appeared in that. Um, what uh, what role do they play in that? They play uh, Colonel Tim and Lady Tiny. Uh, they're a married couple. In real life, they're a brother and sister, and they uh, they kind of they're they're kind of like the the circus connections that the Chans have. In that, like they kind of meet them, and they're like, "Oh, you did a good job dancing, whatever." And then they ask them the Chans to stay on and help solve the mystery of the what is going on at the circus, which of course involves the death, the murder of a one of the owners of the circus, and basically like. If there's a police investigation, they're like, we're not going to get paid because we can't keep moving. And so that's why Charlie Chan is asked to look into this, basically. And the ultimate resolution is similar to murders in the Rue Morgue, only much stupider. Where, spoiler alert, the murderer is a guy dressed in a gorilla suit who frames the real gorilla. Also like that one episode of Scooby-Doo, except that didn't have any murders in it, obviously. And at one point early in the movie, when we saw this murderous alleged gorilla, Anya says, why can't they just tell that's a guy in a gorilla suit? And it was a guy in a gorilla suit. I was just kidding. I wasn't even trying to be a smartass. I was just joking because it was really fake looking. In terms of, you know, how things go down, the Chans ultimately travel with the circus to, like, find all these clues. And then there's a lot of complicated shit about, like, a... You know, was the murder victim married at the time of his murder or no? And and it's a guy in a gorilla it's suit. It's a guy in a gorilla suit. And it was like some gambling situation or whatever. And like, yeah, it was it was kind of silly. I, I'll, I'll say I had a more positive, uh, you know, like the the story in the movie was actually better than I thought it was going to be um, in that like in like the. You know, the it never felt slow. Kind of kept moving along. Like things were silly. Lots of d- silly detective convention stuff. But like it just, it had like a professional air about it. It didn't feel like it was like just stupid. Frankly, I, I thought maybe it was better paced than some of the Thin Man's I've seen. And I love the Thin Man series. And it's also not really problematic uh, and racist to the same extent. So you know. So wait a minute. Are you saying Charlie Chan is not as racist as the Thin Man? No, I'm saying the Thin Man's not. As racist as Charlie Chan. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Yeah, uh, because, you know, it's not trying to do Yellowface. Um, or at least, I don't know, I, maybe it is. Uh, with these movies, like, that shit just pops up and it just kind of, like, is like, Jesus. So, the character of Chan also, yeah, definitely the smartest guy. Definitely, you know, definitely could have been something. But Hollywood was too racist to make it happen. And that sucks. You know, they could have they could have done something really revolutionary there. So are, are we ready for you to give a quick take in a non-offensive way? I'm not going to do an offensive. Listen. I, yes. To me, to me, it's interesting to kind of reflect on these movies because it does show you, um, you know, like the like the anti-Asian sentiments, anti-Asian stereotypes, anti-Asian, you know, racism 
has is, is pervasive and endemic in America. We've heard a lot about that recently with some things on the news, um, as we should. But it's also like it shows you it's baked in, unfortunately, and it's going to take a lot of work to try to fight that and combat it. Well, before we conclude, I guess the big question is, we own now, what, 400 Charlie Chan films. Are we going to watch any more of them? I don't know. I don't know. Fair enough. I think this is probably, I think this was listed as probably one of the better ones. Yeah. Uh, And I just don't know. It just sort of feels like with the, for as, as, for as, as close they came, you know, in terms of like having some of the ingredients there to make a really good character and make a really good franchise, uh, it, for seeing how far they missed the mark and how offensive and racist the results were, it's just ultimately kind of just a frustrating experience because you're like, if you weren't racist, you would have made better stuff, better movie series. Yeah. Like, it's just, it it just, you know, it's just, it's, it's just frustrating. Some of this movie's big top antics are diverting, but the endemic racism within the film leaves it as more of a clown show than an entertaining movie. That's it. That's all I got. That's all everyone gets. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.